if I just made a lot of stuff and I didn't care what it was and I just kept exploring things for what they were instead of looking for a finished product, I could maybe get somewhere. And I think I did that for probably two years. So through the through my final year of grad school and probably for the year after that was a lot of discovery for me and a lot of pushing things to a point where I could almost not stand what it was, you know? I had a I had an ideal of, of what a beautiful painting should look like and and a lot of that was just sort of trashing that idea. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 115th episode, Chris Moss joins us from Brooklyn and talks all about his recent series of paintings and a show that's coming up at Grizzly Grizzly in Philadelphia. So please stay tuned for this interview. Of course, if you want, you can follow along by going to his website, ChristopherMoss.NeoImages.net, and you can see some of the work that we'll be discussing. So it's always a good idea. So please check it out. If you've never heard of Studio Break, we just want to let you know we are a podcast and blog site. We feature a variety of different artists that come on and talk with me about their studio practice, their personal histories, and all sorts of stuff. And you can check them all out on Studio Break. Once again, there is an archive right on the left sidebar. So if you want to see any of the older episodes, you can scroll month by month. And once again, all of our posts have images of the artist's work, links to their website, so you can find out more information there. And of course, you can always follow the link to the iTunes store and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss one. So please go ahead and do that if you like this podcast. Once again, we are in the social media sphere, so please like our Facebook page. You can see some updates and previews of some guests coming up there. You can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break. And we also have a Tumblr page, that's studio-break.tumblr, so please check all of that out. And stay tuned for this great interview, Christopher Moss, coming up, so stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I'm really happy to be joined this afternoon by Christopher Moss. How are you? I'm fine, David. How are you? Excellent, excellent. You know, we, we've been kind of chit-chatting and, and, you know, talking about the Coons exhibition. Currently live in Brooklyn, is that right? I currently live in Brooklyn. I moved here uh, 10 or 11 years ago, something like that. And so obviously uh, you, you've taken to it quite well. Uh, it works. It's a good place to live. Um, where are you from then originally? I grew up in a small town called Shikshini, Pennsylvania, which is in the northeast of Pennsylvania near uh, Wilkes-Barre. And uh, where uh, Franz Klein is from, actually. Did you have any kind of particular, you know, creative impulses as a, as a child? I mean, were you gravitating towards, you know, making things with your hands or anything like that? Uh, when I was fairly young, um, I think my parents had an inkling that I might be some sort of creative person. I took piano lessons, but I didn't like practicing. Uh, and then not very long after that, uh, I started taking uh, drawing and painting lessons, sort of locally, of course. And um, I probably always doodled. I think in grade school, doodling was more of a thing that I did than actually, you know, formally drawing and painting. That's sort of where it started. But. It's kind of funny now because, you know, I, I think of uh, 
I mean, I think of doodling as something that I always did. Is it, well, I, I think I doodle a lot, too. I was just, uh, I printed out your questions and have been waiting for you to call and doodling on the page. Right on. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so did you wind up, like, visiting museums in that when you were a kid, too? Or is that something that kind of came with, a, I guess, more formal uh, study? Yeah, museums didn't come until much later. Becoming interested in quote-unquote fine art and, and visiting art museums wasn't a thing until I was in undergrad. You were taking classes. I mean, were these kind of like classes outside of high school on that in terms of studying painting? Uh, in fourth grade, I started taking drawing and painting classes with a, a teacher who ran a studio and had other people come in and teach. And I, I think through there, got enough praise and recognition and won one or two uh, scholastic awards for what I was doing. Uh, I remember being extremely jealous of two students who were definitely ahead of me and could render the heck out of anything. Not being able to do that and sort of thinking, I, 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 thinking I, my work wasn't as good because I admired theirs so much more. But It's interesting because I kind of feel like I had the same exact thing. You know, I, I, I remember there was this guy that could just draw you know amazingly well and thinking like well i can't do that so i I can't do art you know so it's interesting to think about i don't know the way that that opens up for so many people you know you kind of learn to realize like oh there's like there's so many things that i can do in this i i think one of the major discoveries for me in undergrad uh, as far as that's concerned is discovering that this guy uh this french guy Cezanne, who couldn't really draw actually found a way to work around what he couldn't do to arrive somewhere else. That's real that's real traffic. Yeah, that's real <laughs> that's real traffic. It was it was much more I was thinking it was really funny. It was like Broadway boogie woogie out there <laughs> about, about twenty minutes ago. And so so where did you study uh for your undergraduate then? I went to a smallish university in Scranton, Pennsylvania called Marywood University. And so were you kind of uh, trained as in, in terms of like oil painting as well, in terms of like coming to this? Or what was your experience in terms of just kind of adapting to that, you know, environment? I, I, I don't even think that I knew that you could use linseed oil for like, I don't know, like three weeks when I started painting, you know, in like a painting one class. But <laughs> I, I sort of came backward into painting. I knew I wanted to do something with art. I was already in college. My major was first graphic design. I then switched from graphic design to illustration. But in doing that, I I found that I was making a lot of progress in any in all of my painting classes. And so I just instead of switching majors, started hanging out with the painters. Right on. And that really started the the whole romance of being a painter. Again, it's it's difficult to say like what people gravitate towards. Was there like a specific quality that working in graphic design like wasn't providing? There was resistance on my part to the commercial aspect of it. Although thinking back on it, I'm not really sure why I thought having a sellable skill was such a bad thing. I think I was being uh, young, dumb, and romantic. Right. Well, I guess that's I guess that's why you're a painter, right? But, yeah. Although all learning all of that graphic design stuff um, informs both my painting practice and helps me at my job, and I use Photoshop in and out of the studio all the time. So, right, right, interesting. And so, did you did you wind up continuing then, kind of like both these areas of studies, or 
When it came time to do our senior exhibition, uh, I showed with the painters. I convinced the um, the dean of the art school to to allow me to do that. And before that, I had gone on a few trips to uh, Italy and Paris, and I had uh, at least one or two teachers who were interested in showing us the rest of the world and, and uh, taking us to places where they, you know, to the Louvre or, uh, let's say, to uh, Naples, Italy, to to see ancient painting and to see, you know. Um, what was that like? Totally amazing. Uh, for a really long time, I had this idea that, that I, I had to, we had somehow gone wrong and I had to get back to Giotto in order to figure out where we should have gone forward. It was an ill-informed idea of mine, but, but I remember thinking, I, I'm realizing now how much, how romantic my thinking about my art was. <laughs> Which, which now seems ridiculous to me, but well, I was going to ask you. So, like, too, in terms of like a timeline, man, like, how how old are you at this time? And then also, like, uh, just as a point of reference, where, when is this? You know, in terms of this trip. Oh, okay. So traveling was probably in the early two thousands, late nineties. Uh, that was when I graduated undergrad in nineteen uh, two thousand, which makes me thirty five, thirty six. No, 30, 36. That's right. I mean, what kind of like painting was were you interested at the time? You know, because I would imagine, you know, just being exposed to something like that, you kind of, you know, describe describe it in that way. But I mean, were you were you interested in kind of working a particular way? I was extremely interested in uh, the French version of modernism, um, particularly the figurative side of it. So from Cezanne through Picasso, um, and then the nerd side of me sort of takes over and you start getting into the kind of lesser figures, uh, like why did Duran stop being a fauve painter and start being more traditional? And I've always been a a person who kind of, yeah, yeah, the greatest hits are awesome, but I also want to know these minor players. Did you have like any any particular processes or anything that you kind of became invested in at the time? I'm I'm curious too if like that aspect of being... You know, kind of having that designer kind of, I don't know, way of working through it. I mean, were you, were you like, really planned in terms of the way that you approached painting then? Were there, like, specific subjects or? No, it was really, I think that was part of the reason why I gave up on the idea of being an illustrator or a designer was um, uh, my own stubbornness and my own sort of inability to work with other people's rules. I had to kind of feel it out for myself. It, it it might have happened differently had I been a different person, but you know I often I talk I've I've talked to a number of people, and you know certainly they have everybody has different stories, and I don't know something that maybe doesn't get entirely described is um you know just like what um I don't know maybe like where you started kind of setting setting rules or not rules but like how you would work through you know the process of a painting and maybe just say for your for your thesis you know like in terms of maybe describe that work but I mean you know. What did you choose to kind of explore when you're out of that, you know, project kind of based, you know, curriculum or, or, you know, doing it for a class? I was fortunately tremendously influenced, almost embarrassingly influenced by uh, at least one of my teachers, Mark Weber. Uh, And I spent a really long time trying to paint like him. That 
probably takes us right up to my application to grad school in 2003. He's a figurative painter, lives in northeastern Pennsylvania, teaches at Marywood University, runs an excellent uh, Facebook page uh, with some of the some some deep cuts Renaissance paintings on there. Basically, is, is how I'll describe him because he goes really really deep in, into uh, fresco territory. I guess I'll say that the way that Giotto's were put together, the way that he thought about shapes relating to one another, was probably really important to me, as well as the sort of painty way that uh, the sort of stabby painty way that Cezanne painted. And so were you kind of like looking at, you know, like figures in, in terms of, um, you know, like actual models or what were you basing them off of? It had been invented for a really long time because outside of the academy, I sort of didn't have access to the same kind of figures that you do, you know, drawing from life. And I was never, I was okay at drawing from life, but even when I was drawing from life, I was doing a tremendous amount of invention. So those early pictures were all uh, completely made up stories. You'd have to sit there with it. And they're not very large. Most of them are smaller than 18 by 24. And, uh, you know, I would sort of sit at my desk and draw a couple figures in a room and then put a table in the room and then decide where the window goes and then decide what the colors were going to be. And all of this is sort of intuitive. Oh, that rhymes with this shape. Oh, wouldn't it be funny if one of these figures was upside down instead of right side up, uh, lying on the floor? Or Is it something where you would draw in terms of like planning things out or anything like that? Or is it all something that when you were working, you kind of worked, you know, kind of like intuitively, like you're kind of describing in terms of like arriving at a finished, you know, painting by kind of editing and editing? Uh, both, really. Um, I would start... Many times I would start with a drawing, and the drawing would be enough, um, sort of what later teachers of mine called filling in the shapes, which was a negative critique I got once. Um, but I don't... It's just a different way of working. You can fill in the shapes, or you can fight back and forth until the until the picture happens. You always kind of worked in acrylics, or...? Let's see, so most of those sort of post-undergrad paintings, I had been working in oil, uh, and then I, I picked up watercolor and gouache for a really long time I guess because i was i tend to i tended to work uh, not in a studio but in a home and oil paint seemed out of the question if you're working at a desk in your bedroom or something like that material wise grad school uh, i was making i again had a studio so i was using the most dangerous materials i could possibly get my hands on and then post grad school moving back moving my studio back into my house I switched back to acrylic because I, I think you can pretty much do everything in acrylic that you can do in, in oil paint. Kind of like bring you back to graduate school. I mean, was there was it just kind of more time to kind of be able to develop your work or was there like a specific, gosh, how funny is that? Like I think back to like did I have a specific goal aside from just getting, getting an MFA and not having to uh, work at Hobby Lobby? But <laughs> um, was was there what was the reason to kind of go back and and study uh, study art? Um, the reason I went and the reason I appreciate grad school are two totally different reasons. But uh, the reason I went was because it seemed still seemed to me a kind of clear path to a career in academia uh, to to be able to teach 
Uh, I think everybody was still kind of saying, oh, well, you kind of have to go to grad school to do that. Uh, I never got in grad school. I never, um, I never got any of those sort of teaching assistantships. Uh, I, I don't think anybody in grad school thought that I had any real interest in teaching. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was all focused on my studio, uh, which is fine. And I still don't teach. So, well, so to clarify, where did you wind up going to graduate school and could you kind of just describe that, that initial experience to starting? I moved to New York and uh, I moved to Brooklyn with the intention of going to either Hunter or Brooklyn College because from my economic standpoint, it made sense to pay as little money as I possibly could for a second degree. And uh, Brooklyn College is practically free and Hunter College is, is practically free. They're both city schools and if you're a resident of the city, you can go for an unbelievably unbelievably uh, small wallet, I guess. And uh, the experience there was me being stubborn the first year and meeting an awful lot of resistance to the way that I, to my heroes and the way that I made paintings. And, uh, and I'm, I'm glad to have come up against that resistance and I'm glad to have had teachers there who were smart enough to say, teachers there who were smart enough to tell me that I was kind of, I was exploring things that had already been done. There wasn't anything really left for me to explore. And I was, in a way, not being myself and not being a person of the 21st century by rehashing all of these old painting issues that had pretty much been run through by maybe 1960 or so. So is that something that wound up motivating you then? Uh, it caused a crisis for me in a way. It was um, in a, yeah, it did. Uh, because I remember the summer between my first year and my second year, I had absolutely no idea what to do, but I had this one, I knew that if I made if I just made a lot of stuff and I didn't care what it was and I just kept exploring things for what they were instead of looking for a finished product, I could maybe get somewhere. And I think I did that for probably two years. So through the, through my final year of grad school and probably for the year after that was a lot of uh, discovery for me and a lot of pushing things in, in, pushing things to a point where I could almost not stand what it was, you know, there's like a, I had a, I had an ideal of, of what a beautiful painting should look like. And, and a lot of that was just sort of trashing that idea. It's just kind of working in that, that number too. I mean, in terms of just kind of driving yourself to make a lot, I mean, is that kind of maybe where you started to kind of feel more comfortable in, in taking on your, your kind of own interests, your own voice, if you will? Yeah, I'd sort of always been uh, fairly prolific, uh, especially on a small scale. It's actually pretty easy to make 100 paintings in a day or two. But, uh, but I, think the, uh, I think I started in graduate school, I started thinking about the idea of working serially, which I think has something to do with what I'm doing right now. And certainly something that you can kind of see throughout you know, the, all the work that's uh, up on your website at uh, Neo Images. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 
look over those bodies of works, you kind of see, or see like maybe like a clear path or, you know, that there's, you know, something going on in terms of why you're deciding to, to make work in a certain way. And so, I mean, was there, was there something that kind of came out of that in terms of you, you kind of set some parameters in terms of making, making a series? I guess so. I mean, it's always making artwork is always a sort of you make up a bunch, you make up a couple of rules and then you stick to them for a little while after you've done the sort of, you know, two or three test runs or something like that. I think I found that the the more I work, the more I would sort of I would try something and I would make maybe 10 or 15 paintings in this one way about one subject. Uh, A lot of the early ones, I think they might even still be on the Neo Images page. Uh, this is work immediately after Brooklyn College uh, was a series of sock puppet paintings that I did because I thought that the I, I thought it was a ridiculous thing to paint first of all but working through that I realized that there it was also a good way to jettison all of the um, all of the sort of hackneyed figurative things that I would automatically do when I was making a painting. No, I think that makes sense because you can't really associate it with maybe like another artist that's that's working, you know, similarly or, you know, that you you don't kind of see that immediate recognition as like, oh, that's supposed to be a person or, a fa-, you know what I mean? Yeah, Just exactly. Like a, it's a way of changing that up. Yeah, it was. And it was a way of finding a new way to work, basically, I guess. Did that all come from that, that language that you kind of developed from making all these paintings or were you kind of looking at different artists or you know, having any kind of other experiences that were making you change the way that you were, you were working through them? I think in, um, again, in grad school, it was just at the end of the cusp of a sort of um, re-awareness by a lot of, or, or an awakening of awareness by a lot of young painters of uh, everything that Philip Gustin did. And I think early-ish in making those paintings, they they really still, I really still had a master, you know, I I was still looking at somebody for what I was doing. And, uh, the, the sock puppet paintings, I think were important for me because first, uh, they had introduced a, a comic element that I hadn't really had in, in the paintings, um, in a, in a kind of Charlie Chaplin sort of comic way where he's funny, but you're like, Oh, I feel so bad for the tramp. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and I think that I, I think there's a there's a there's a kind of that element in Gustin even where you're like oh that's funny but sad. I'll have to like show evidence of this, but I literally did write that along uh, peripheral of my notes too. So uh, kinda, <laughs> I kind of feel good. Uh, I just wrote down I just wrote down Philip Gustin question mark. Um, <laughs> but there's there's kind of that yeah I mean there's that sense of humor I think that especially kind of comes through you know and again maybe maybe it's just kind of you know, removing it from, you know, and we were talking about earlier to kind of like not working from a figure, kind of pushing more ideas from imagination. I mean, by kind of doing that, it kind of really does, I don't know, allow it to be kind of more playful. And I don't know, I could see that in a way, like maybe pretty, pretty open-ended in terms of exploring material then and two, in terms of the way that, you know, one might look completely different from the next. Yeah, right. Is that something that that you think that in terms of kind of working at that scale is something that that almost makes it more intimate then, you know, because I think also, of you know, like some Augustine's work, especially is rather large, um, you know, and it, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious if that idea of scale has a, you know, a way of impacting the work as well. Yes and no, because I 
I don't, I don't show them often because lately I've been working in series, but uh, in series of very small things that all sort of go together. But I still make large-ish four or five foot by four or five foot paintings too. I've never had enough room in my life to keep enough of those around to make a whole show. So uh, it's kind of a space issue in a way. Uh, it's an economy of, uh, of where I, you know, where I am. Well, and it's, it's funny to me too, because that's something that people will bring up. You know what I mean? You'd be like, Oh man, I could see this being like 10 feet wide, you know? Uh, yeah, I think could like, too. I, I, I could don't know too. where I I'd move to, that. I have, I have nowhere to keep that. <laughs> right. If you want, if you'd like, pay me to make one ten feet wide. <laughs> yeah, it's and that's the funniest thing, you know. You you um, I don't know. You accumulate, you know. So you kind of maybe follow through with a couple of those impulses, and then you're like, shit, what do I do with all these paintings? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so so you know, I I am curious too, because like in terms of that that chronology, so we're talking about the 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 sock puppet paintings were about 2008 and 2009. Um, and then in that chronology, something I think kind of interesting happens in terms of like the, you know, the next series of untitled works. So could you kind of maybe talk a little bit about, about how, I don't know how that series got started and what that was all about. At some point I developed a drawing style. That's a, that's a really linear, almost cartooning kind of drawing style. And I don't think I have any drawings of those up there. I don't show them very often. They just stay in notebooks. That series came from the drawings, basically. Uh, and one painting I had made the... There's one painting in that in that untitled-ish series that's a... Uh, there's like a fence. There's a brown fence at the bottom and a, a green hill and a smooshy uh, sort of red and blue and yellow face in the middle of it, it's just a big pile of crackle paint. And it was a painting that I'd worked on for a really long time. And then the very last move that I did was, was put this crackle paste on it just because I had a can of it around. And I was interested in exploring the non art stuff that say golden paint makes the kind of things that any, you know, any serious artist would say, Oh no, there's absolutely no way I'm going to use that material. Um, I think there was an explosion of, of that. There's a whole lot of, you know, glitter paintings from the late 2000s. Uh, I think that was maybe part of part of that sort of thinking. So that painting led to later series. And I was thinking at the time that every painting that I made from this could possibly blossom into its own series of 10 or 15 paintings. So I spent a year or two making follow-up paintings to those works. I got about, I, I'm still probably about, I don't know, a tenth of the way through working through that idea, and I have maybe abandoned it. Was was there like any like particular thing in terms of, I don't know, because they, they seem, in relation to some of the other works, they seem almost representational in some ways, you know, or at least in, in that sense, like more... Um, literal than some of the other paintings. They're depictions of things rather than things themselves. I think. I think um, that might be one of the big differences. Uh, and the idea that I was making a thing in itself sort of came about with the a series of seventy heads, which, as I said, came out of that one painting with the crackle paste head. 
led to a whole series of, of 70 heads in, in a field. And this, um, and that led me to telling myself a story about those heads where it was some kind of, I thought the head was some kind of glowing computer-like device, but on a, on a planet, on a planet that had either been abandoned or, or some, something had happened to, you know, everything on that planet, except for these glowing heads uh, in fields. This series is from when? The, like 2012? Is that? Uh, I think that's about 2012. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right, because that was my, um, that was the show, I showed those at Theodore Art in Bushwick um, in a two-person show with Scooter LaForge. Okay, okay. And I showed all, I think there's a picture on there of all 70 of them together on a wall. Yeah, it's and it's interesting to see them all kind of like gritted out and start kind of comparing different aspects of them, how they're made. Um, could you kind of describe that process and, and how you're working through it? It's not a planned, I, I don't work, I, I work really intuitively and not from plan, but a lot of it is, a lot of it is sort of gameplay. It's a sort of, where can I go with this? So for those, the the rules were all of the paintings were 10 by 10 inches and they would probably have uh, some kind of, uh, they would be in some kind of a setting. There'd be a sky and a ground and this crackle paste head would be in the middle of it. And those were the only rules. So sometimes the crackle paste head made it into the painting and then I painted the background, you know, or what would be, you know, the quote unquote background afterward. So there's that one where you can't, you can't really see the face because it's just a, a sort of green and blue landscape. It looks like there's a number of them where the the surface is really like caked on and, and built up. I mean, do they go from being you know thin in areas and, and pretty thick in others? Yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty um, they're pretty textural. The um, the crackle paste, the stuff that golden paint makes. I've I've explored other kinds too, but it has a kind of it's heavier than shaving cream, but but that that's the only thing I can think of that it kind of reminds me of is like a, a shaving cream. So it's it it, it retains it, except unlike shaving cream, it doesn't melt. It retains that you know body. Well, and so as you, as you're working through it again, maybe just to explain the logistics of it, because I I mean, do you kind of blend it into the 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 pigment that you're using and then just apply it, or is it like a surface that you're building up and then painting over? I'd work on maybe 10 or 15, probably up to 20 at a time. So I would have all of the boards sort of laid on the floor, and uh, I'll mount them later. So they're really easy to throw around the studio and uh, just get something going on a bunch of them. And then they start talking to one another. And the crackle paste is usually probably about the third or fourth step in that painting process. Uh, where I'll take 10 of them and a big tub of the stuff and just you apply, I usually apply the paste first and then color it later. Although I know you, you can mix it with pigment. I, I never really found it to be successful. I like the way that once it dries, I like the way that it soaks up pigment. And are you also kind of using other materials in this process or is it, is it pretty much just acrylic and this, this crackled uh, medium? At that point, it was um, it was just acrylic and and the crackle stuff. Although uh, later works sort of move into a more um, 
somebody called them painted constructions. So I would imagine maybe some of them seem to come sooner than others in terms of like resolution or over. Yeah. Over about eight months to a year, I think was how long I worked on that. And, um, and some of them were, were early 2011 and they have two different dates, usually 2011 and 2012, I think, you know, I was really, I was intrigued by the idea, but it's an unsuccessful attempt at making the same painting over and over and over again. I just, I've tried it so many times and I can't do it. Like I, I just, I, I, there's some thing inside me that says, I just don't, this should be slightly different at least from the last one. Is that how your next body of work kind of gets informed in terms of, um, you know, setting up like a new set of parameters? Yeah. 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 So the next body of work didn't, I, I, I'd made, I've made, but not shown or photographed several others based, several other bodies of work based on those sort of what 2010, 24 inch by 24 inch untitled paintings. And the, I thought that the, the heads were sort of the most successful ones. And so the impetus for the next body of work became making the head the thing as opposed to having it in a landscape. So rather than it being the thing depicted, it was the actual object that was in front of you. Right. And is, so is this, is this, I get, would this be considered kind of like your most current work then? I'm still working my way through that series, uh, stumbling and falling and and i've shown two i sort of i make i make up a whole bunch of rules and then i end up breaking all of them anyway but uh one of the things that i did is i had these were all mounted before i started working on them uh, because i know a, a carpenter who's terrific at doing this sort of thing and i had them made at three or four different depths so some of them are are you know an inch and a half off the wall, some are two inches off the wall, two and a half inches, and three inches off the wall. I wanted when I envisioned hanging them all together, I wanted them to hang as a grid, and when you moved past the grid, because the surfaces would be at different depths, it would move at different times or at different they they would move as you moved around the room um I've kind of stuck with that, but then i I divided all 90 of the paintings up into their own little groups and I made 16, 16 really flat sort of abstracty looking faces where I ended up using a palm sander to grind through layers and layers and layers of pigment to get that sort of uh, old paint feel to it. It has a kind of, it has a kind of, I don't know, a, a, a restored house feel or something like that, where you, you know, you discover all these layers of paint. It's really cool to to see the way that that sanding kind of interacts with the works. You know, it certainly reveals a lot of layers and, you know, some of the color aspects it, it, it kind of diminishes, you know, some of the, the heads into the backgrounds even and kind of dissolves them. Um, but is that, is that layering, you know, really important? Is there a lot of layering in these paintings? Yeah, there was, there was a lot of, layers and layers and layers of, of building these things. The process is basically using a lot of, uh, I use acrylic paint and masking fluid. And so you mask off areas and then paint, mask off with either tape or masking fluid. 
and then take all of that off and then either retape it or remasking fluid the area and then paint again and then paint again and then paint again and do it again. And you repeat that, I don't know, nine, 10, 15 times for each painting. And then it wasn't quite getting to where I wanted it to be. So I finally dug out the sander and sanded one of them just to see what would happen. And I really liked the way that it revealed what was underneath and it revealed earlier decisions you know, we've talked about process a bit in terms of the way, like, you know, you can kind of slowly edit this image together. And so it's it's interesting to me to think about it, not as like a finished product, but also, you know, the way that you can kind of see all of those, you know, those layers, you know, it's kind of like you've, you can see that history kind of recorded in the actual piece itself, which is, is really kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, that was, that's something, something that's interesting to me, too. Something really strange about these, um, well, not strange because I planned it that way, but I guess some, the, the other interesting thing that you wouldn't know from looking online and you would barely know from seeing them in a gallery is that the backsides of most of them also contain a diorama. So there's this whole other world behind the surface of the painting. And, and is is that something that you're you're intending to to show when you when you're ready to to exhibit all these, or is that something that's just kind of to toy with the uh, the viewers' emotions and going, what the hell's behind there? Uh, it's something. It's a present for. It's like a it's like a B side. You know, it's a it's just a it's it's it is what it is, and it does it's not. I've thought of different ways that it could actually become the work, you know, actually making dioramas. Uh, that may or may not be something I choose to explore sometime in the future. Um, but I did show these uh, in a... Let's see, which ones are we looking at here? I'm just clicking through the website myself to see what I have up. Oh, the sanded ones are, are right up top. Great. So I showed those at... Uh, at the at Theodore Art again in Bushwick uh, a couple months ago in a group show, and then I followed that group show with even newer paintings. If you go to New Work 2013, there are some that are more constructed than sanded down. That gives you kind of an idea of, of maybe where the sort of later works that were just in my solo show. Or you could visit Stephanie Theodore's webpage, theodoreart.com. Look up my show there. Well, and, yeah, I was going to say. So, and what do you have going on in terms of exhibitions? Um, you know, somebody wants to go check these out in person. Well, I've sort of. Uh, I don't think I'll have another solo in New York for a few years, but uh, but I did just have a fairly successful uh, show with Stephanie, and I'm getting ready right now with another group of 15 paintings. I'll be bringing to uh, Grizzly Grizzly in Philadelphia. And that show runs through July, uh, July 11th uh, through, I think, August 1st. And so which, which ones are they going to be showing? Are they going to be showing the, the, the face works, um, um, kind of like the newer face works or the ones that are kind of more materially? Sorry for, uh, sorry for describing your work like that. but <laughs> More materially. I like that. <laughs> you um, know, um, yeah, I like. I never had a term for it myself, so <laughs> it's it's totally fine. And then I was talking to uh, Sharon Butler at an opening, and she said something, something, something construct or painted constructions. And I went, Ah, yeah, right, right. That's what they're <laughs> called. 
Thank you very much. Well, it seems like one is about like building. I don't know. Like the other, these other ones seem like they have more like on the surface in terms of like building out. But I, I, it's hard to tell, you know. Well, they were. Um, they ended up being very. Um, they're very very smooth. I've never made a painting. I, I really really like the sanded surface of them. I like sort of touching it, and you know, because I. I I'd always sort of gone for a very painterly uh, sort of come what may paint over paint over paint over paint sort of surface. So it was, they were really different for me, but although you can see how it could have been really thick paint at some point. So just to clarify, which of the works are going to be shown at Grizzly Grizzly in Philly? I'll be showing the constructed, more constructed. That seems to be the way that the rest of these, I, the rest of the paintings are moving in the direction of of uh, being constructed. Um, they've got, some of them even have uh, sort of paint things that look like toys that I lay on top of them. Interesting. You know, is it something too where you're kind of working both of these series at the same time? Uh, I see them as, since I had all of the panels made all together in a group, it was a group of 90. The intention was to do the same thing to all of them. It sort of kind of fell apart, but didn't. So I see them all as sort of the same series. Okay, okay. Although I've been showing them in groups of 15, they're sort of getting, in my mind, sort of getting lumped together in groups of either 15 or 16 whenever I show them somewhere. Well, and it's got to be interesting to see it in, in that, are they always kind of displayed in that grid format where you have that kind of undulating effect with the with the depths? Sometimes, but not always. It's another rule breaking. It, it seems whatever, um, like rules are impractical when you, when you start to bump up against them and, and they start to be constraining or when you're trying to install an exhibition and grids just aren't working in that space. Uh, because maybe you didn't bring enough work to cover the entire gallery in a grid. So the solo show ended up being sort of more singular, more singular paintings and a couple of sculptures. And uh, But uh, the Grizzly Grizzly show is maybe going to stick to a smallish grid of 15, although 15 doesn't naturally fit in a grid, so there'll actually be a six, grid of 16 with one missing. And are you still working on these, or...? I feel like sometimes painters can want to work up to the very last minute. I'm not like that. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I, I was, I was like that in high school with, with you know, do, doing my homework in the class before the class where it was due. But I'm sort of not really like that. I I tend to finish things and then leave them alone once they're finished. Well, I, and I I guess I don't know. It's just for me. It's just like I'm always. You know, like, I, I feel like I'm always most excited about the last thing that I worked on, you know? It's the thing that's most fresh in your mind, so it's it's difficult to to even get excited about older work. Right, right. No, I, I, hear, I hear you. I mean, um, but at the same time, it's interesting, too, because, again, just generally speaking, it seems like, you know, you kind of, you know, by working in all these series, like, it really is something that might, you know, you kind of joke about how, like, these dioramas might lead to something, or I don't know. That seems so interesting to me. I don't know. I I've thought about. It. I mean, I've made. I've I've. I'm, I want to say I've made plans to do something with that, but they're only plans in my head. What's well, it, it? Seems great though, because that's where I don't know. It seems like the best place to be. 
I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know. Sometimes, sometimes you get stuck in your head, but yeah. <laughs> well, but I just, I just mean in the sense of like, um, you know, like what we were talking about earlier in terms of, um, I don't know, kind of especially making your own work. You know, like there's, like I don't know. It, it seems like for me those those thing those things that I wind up doing always stem out of, you know, some sil- like like when I think about it. At first, this is like this is not possible to turn into a body of work, or you know, this is not something that I'm interested in. And then it, I don't know, it wind up that winds up changing real quick. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I get that. I um, I can see how the dioramas could become much more sculptural, and how you could sort of you could just make the boxes that support that are acting as the support for the painting, and sort of stack them or move them. Or see, now I'm t- now I'm talking about stuff that I'm thinking about, which is. Sometime in the future, before I, you know, before I've even completed the last body of work I'm working on. Well, it's, I don't know. Again, I think it's easy for artists to kind of be all excited, you know. I guess what's next then for you? I don't know. Or have you, you're, you're waiting to make sure that you're done with this. I, I'm always working on more than one thing at once. So a perfect chronology is sort of difficult for me to remember because I was doing this thing and then that was making me happy one day and then I was exploring this other thing and that was really you know feeding something the next time you're in the studio and then the next time you come in you say oh god both of these are dead ends and you start something else I've been doing a lot of drawing lately to answer the actual question um I bought 20 or 25 notebooks and I've to get back to an earlier theme that I think we were talking about, repeating yourself or your your own ability to, my own ability to do something over and over and over again, to do the same thing over and over again. I've been using these notebooks to make finished, draw, like finished, almost, almost like comic books of two notebooks that I found from maybe about five years ago. So I'm going back and exploring drawings that I made five years ago, and it's 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 strange it's strange revisiting myself from five years ago because there's a lot of things I did then that I don't do anymore, but forcing myself to have to deal with with uh, with some of those things is is sort of interesting. Yeah, and I, I was gonna kid and say I want I want some kind of big tease for everyone. Um... But I think you just provided it. I'm kind of like, man, you know. Um, but I, th- I don't know. I th- you know, that's, again, one of the things that's really fun about doing this is to kind of gain a, a better appreciation and understanding of where people are coming from. And, um, you know, again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been really interesting. So right on, right on. Well, again, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks once again to Chris for joining us, and please go to his website, Christopher Moss, neoimages.net, and of course you can follow that link on this blog post to check it out. And we do want to remind you, his two-person show, Gist, with Ron Lambert, opens at Grizzly Grizzly this weekend, July 11th, so please go check it out in Philadelphia, it's not to be missed. I will note that it's been a little bit of time since we've had a Studio Break podcast. And again, I've been busy working away in the studio for some upcoming shows. And if you'd like to see some of those new pieces up on my website, davidlinaway.com, you can check them out. I make a number of paintings that are kind of suburban and or urban, uh, dealing with landscapes. So please go check it out at the website. 
Just a reminder once again that we have a lot of podcasts available on studiobreak.com. Again, each of them have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and these lengthy interviews to check them all out. Go through the archives, and if you want to do that very easily, you can go and subscribe in the iTunes store and check out all the great podcasts that you missed out on so please go ahead and do that if you've been listening for a while and you just generally enjoy it we would really appreciate if you left us some comments some feedback there as it generally just helps others out there in the world find podcasts to listen to so please go ahead and do that of course we are on social media websites so if you like facebook please like our facebook page there again we provide updates of some guests that we've had on some guests that are coming up as well as share show announcements and opportunities so please like our page there you can follow us on tumblr that's studio-break.tumblr and we also have a twitter account at studio break and of course if you're an artist please send us some tweets share your work and say hello there as a matter of fact, to say hello in general, it's always a lot of fun to hear from people out in the real world, so please say hello. We do want to thank our friend Skylar Mail for providing all of the music for Studio Break. He is a visual artist as well, and you can check out his work at SkylarMail.net. Our last reminder, Stephen Linksveyor has an opening at Demo Project in Springfield, Illinois. Once again, it's called Romance of Sorcery, and it opens July 11th. So check it out if you're in central Illinois. All right, thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you real soon. <laughs>